Well, welcome to Front Range. My name is Ernest Smith, and we are so grateful that you are here. Whether you've joined us in person or maybe you're watching online, uh, we're grateful to have you. And we say this every single week, uh, whether it's Easter or not, our hope and prayer is that this will be home for you, a place where you can build community, discover your purpose, and grow in your faith in Jesus. Now, it is Easter, and I can tell that because of how well you guys dressed up today. Uh, man, y'all look good. Holy cow. And so, some of you have uh, returned that favor to me as well, and I appreciate that. But, uh, I, man, I'm just so grateful that you guys are here. Uh, I want to let you know about something, uh, and it pertains to next week and kind of what we do as a church. Uh, so next week, we will not be here. Okay, so if you show up next week for church, you're going to be all alone, all alone. You don't want that. Uh, so we meet at Renaissance Secondary School, which is over by, like, Walmart and, uh, and the skate park and all of that. Uh, and if you show up at 10 o'clock, you're either going to be really late or really early because we have two service times, 9 and 10.30. And we're starting a new series called Stories of a Kingdom. Well, what we're doing is we're looking at these stories that Jesus told called parables and uh, how they relate to you and I, uh, how, what they say about God, what they say about the kingdom of God, and then what uh, God calls us to do through these stories or these, these parables. So I want to encourage you, love for you guys to be back next week, uh, Renaissance, two, service, uh, two services. There's a little card uh, that you found on your seat. If you didn't find it, you're sitting on it. Uh, so just slide it right out, and you can see all the information there. We'd love for you guys to be back with us uh, next week. Now, what I love to do every single Easter, it's a tradition, it's a proclamation uh, that is being made by millions upon millions of people today. It's called the Pascal Greeting. And the Pascal Greeting goes something like this. I say Christ is risen, and you say he is risen indeed. All right, some of you already know it. So we're going to do that together. Again, ready? Christ is risen. Amen. And that's the proclamation. That's what we celebrate today. Like this proclamation, this day is what sets us apart from everyone else, from every other belief system, from every other religion, is this idea, this, this truth, this belief that Jesus went to the cross for our sins, that he died on the cross for us, but that was on Friday. And then there was a, a, a but God moment. Say but God. But God created Sunday. And when Sunday came around, the tomb was empty, the stone was rolled away, and we see this resurrected Jesus, a Jesus that gives us life, that, that we come to celebrate today because of, of what he does for us and because of what he's given to us, that you and I can have eternal life because of what we celebrate on Easter. It's a but God moment. And I wonder if you and I, what if we lived our lives with such a belief that at any point there was a but God moment? That at any time, no matter what's going on around you, no matter the struggles you're walking through, no matter the darkness uh, that, that may seem to, to crowd around you, no matter what's happening in your life or, or in the lives of others around you, what if you lived your life with this mindset that there would, could be a but God moment? That like God could show up at any point. That God could do the miraculous at any point. Like, how would that transform our lives? I think that we would put God at the forefront of everything. Like, he would become the priority, not just like a, a secondary thing in our lives. I think it would transform everything if we lived with this belief that God could and wants to show up in your life at any time, no matter the situations, no matter how hard things may seem, that there is a but God moment. 
Now, many of you, you've experienced these moments in your life. You've, you've experienced where God has shown up. In our church, we've had people get healed of cancer. Where you're like, that, that's unexplainable. We've, we've seen marriages that were on the, the brink of divorce and got to bring uh, healing and restoration there. We've, we've seen people who have struggled with infertility finally uh, find you know, this, this glorious miracle happen, growing inside of their body. We've seen kids that have walked away from the Lord and walked away from their families to return home. We've seen these but God moments. And when you look throughout scripture, you see them all over the place. I mean, in uh, Genesis chapter 31, verse 42, we, we meet this guy named Jacob. And at this point in Jacob's life, all of these people are, are kind of coming against him. And most of the people that are coming against him are his own family members. Anybody, anybody have a testimony of that? Where you're like, man, I got crazy family. And they do some crazy things. And that's kind of what Jacob's dealing with. And he's in the midst of this. He says, but God sees me. And then you fast forward and you got Matthew 19, 26, and Jesus hanging out with some of his disciples and he's telling them this hard truth. And, and they're like, man, but how is this possible? Like, this doesn't seem possible, Jesus. And Jesus says, with man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. In Romans chapter five, Paul's telling us about how our sin separates us from God and, and how if you ever want a relationship with God, that, that the, 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 the first thing that's a barrier there is your own sin. And so if you don't feel God's presence, there's probably sin there. And he says, but God demonstrates his own love for you and I. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, uh, Paul's talking about how you and I all go through various temptations. Like we deal with the same stuff. Like it may, it may look different, it may have a different name to it, but you and I go through all the same junk in life. And he says, you can deal with anything because God is faithful. There's but God moments all throughout scripture. But I wonder how many of us here today would say, but where's my but God moment? Like have you ever gone through something in your life and you're like, where was God when this happened? That's great, Ernest, that you can tell me about people getting healed of cancer and, and marriages restored, but that's not what I went through. And you're looking for that but God moment in your marriage or with your kids or in your work situation or, or whatever it may be. Where was God when my spouse walked out of me? Where was God when my, my child received their diagnosis? Where was God when I lost my job? Where was God when this family member passed away? Where was God when my best friend turned their back on me? It's great, Ernest, to talk about that there's these but God moments, but where was God when I needed him most? If you've ever thought that or wrestled with that, I want you to know you're in good company. You're in good company because I've wrestled with that. Many in our church have wrestled with that, but I also think that this, this, this question of where was God or where is God was the leading question that very first Easter. I think the disciples, the, very, the leading question they're asking is, where is God? I've already told you a little bit about uh, the, the Easter story. All of us are sinners. Our sin separates us from God. But God loved you and I so much that uh, he was willing to send his only son to pay the penalty that sin, that sin needed to be paid. There had to be somebody that paid it. And so it should have been us, but God loved you enough to send his own son to die for you. So he dies on a Friday. He's buried in a tomb. And the Jewish leaders and the, the, the Roman officials, they understood that Jesus had proclaimed that he was going to rise again. So they were scared at this point that the disciples would come along and take Jesus' body to try to fool everybody. So what they did is they put a stone over the tomb so that no one could roll it away. And then they positioned two guards outside so that no disciple could come up and steal Jesus' body and be like, look, he's, he's raised from the dead. We told you. So they were guarding this. Then there was Sunday. 
And on Sunday, the disciples went there to perform a, a Jewish burial custom. And when they got there, the stone was rolled away and there was no body. The guards were still there. They couldn't explain what had happened. But there was no body. Where'd he go? I mean, he's gone. We look at this story now and we go, man, he's risen. And it's real easy to say that now, right? Because we have a vision, uh, uh, that, 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 that's that 2020 hindsight, right? We're like, we look back and we're like, man, he's risen. But if you were there that day, would you have really said he was risen? I mean, think about it. Have you ever seen somebody rise from the dead? I've never seen that. Like, so if I'm one of the disciples there that day, I'm probably not going, yes, he did exactly what he said he was going to do. He's raised from the dead. I'd be like, hey, well, who took his body? Where is he? It reminds me of this story that, that I heard of this little five-year-old, and he's got this major part in, a, in an Easter production, and that part is he's supposed to quote Luke chapter 24 that says, he is not here, he is risen. So when they get to the part in the production, this little boy, they, they get to him, and, and he pauses, he kind, of, he kind of freezes, and he forgets the line. So that the director, he, he whispers the line to him, that line I just told you, he whispers it to him, but either because the kid couldn't hear him or because the kid was like, what, that doesn't make any sense. He proclaims, he knows what he's supposed to proclaim. He said, he is not here, he's in prison. <laughs> that may be more believable than he is risen. Where'd he go? Where's his body? These are more logical questions that they're asking. And how do we know they're asking these questions? Well, we look at two stories, two stories on that first Easter day that tell us exactly what the, the disciples were thinking and probably where their head was at. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at two different stories. And we've created uh, what we call message series hub. For every single message that we do, we've created this hub on our website. You can go there by scanning the QR code or you can just go to frontrange.org. And for every series that we do, we create these hubs and we're providing you more resources, other ways that you can grow in your faith. We know that if you come here and you hear something for 30 minutes or whatever, like that's great, but to be able to like really go deep in your faith, you need more. So we've created all these resources. There's something to listen to, like a podcast, something to watch, like a video, and uh, something to read. All of you are different learners. Some of you haven't read a book in years, but you'll watch a, po you'll watch a, a video or listen to a podcast. So we've created these things to help you go deeper in your faith. And we have one for this message in particular. This first story that we're going to look at is found in Luke chapter 24. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, no worries. It's going to be up on the screen. And here's what we read, Luke 24, starting with verse 13. It says, now that same day, two of them, talking about disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, and as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now imagine this situation. You're a couple of the disciples, and you're walking along, and then all of a sudden this other guy is walking along with you, and, and they don't know that it's Jesus. Now, we don't know why they don't know it's Jesus. I mean, did God, like, you know, filter their eyes? Did Jesus look different? Or was it one of those situations? Have you ever been in one of those situations where you're, you're somewhere, and you see somebody, and you're like, I think I know you, but you're not supposed to be here? You ever had one of those moments? Maybe it's like that. I don't know. But they're, they're in this moment, and Jesus is walking alongside of them, but they don't know it's Jesus, and he's like, I'm, I'm going to play this thing up. He says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they say, really? You're the only one that doesn't know what's been going on, the events that have happened over the last few days? Jesus is like, no, no, tell me, tell me more. So they start telling him about this guy named Jesus. And Jesus is like, well, tell me more about this guy named Jesus. Like they had no clue. And they're talking about, you know, the, the death and, the and, and how he was supposed to rise, but there's no body and they don't know what's going on and all of that. And here's what we read in verse 21. And I, I'm going to guess that some of us have been 
and this place, the disciples say this, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. But we had hoped. We had hoped that he was the one that was gonna save us, that he was gonna redeem us, but we don't know where he is. They lost all hope. It's this, this truth that we've all walked through experiences where we lost hope. You ever been there before? You've been in a place where you go, man, I, I have no hope in this situation. I think about me when I was 16 years old, I had no hope. I didn't believe that God existed because some of the things that I'd walked through. I had some issues with substances. I was depressed. I tried to kill myself. I mean, where was God? Where was God when my dad abused me? Where was God when my parents got divorced and I had to leave everything and everyone that I knew? Where was God in that moment? You fast forward, I accept Christ and I'm a pastor and I'm trying to live my life for the Lord and all of that and we have, a, we have two kids and my oldest son, he gets diagnosed with autism. I don't know anything about this thing called autism. I knew no one growing up that was autistic. I was just trying to be a good father. I was just trying to figure out this whole fathering thing, like how do you feed a kid and how do you change a diaper and all that. Now I'm like, hold on, we have this other, this other thing? Like, where's God in the midst of this? You ever lost hope before? If you're a human, you have. You've been there. And when you think back to those times, when you think back to those situations, I bet the emotions start to come up, right? Your palms get sweaty, weak knees, arms are heavy. As the great theologian Eminem says, you ought to know I can rap. I can keep going. Right? You like, your body actually begins to feel what you experienced at some point in that time that you had no hope. You go, where was God? Like, where's my but God moment in this time? These disciples, that's exactly where they are. They're going, but we, we had hoped. We'd hope that we would experience a, a but God moment. Now you fast forward to later that night. It's the first night. It's Easter night. Many of you, you'll be celebrating tonight. You'll be eating dinner with friends or family or whatever. And so these disciples, instead of doing that, here's what we read about their situation. They're together, but they're confused. And we even read that they're scared. Look at John chapter 20, verse 19. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. So the disciples, they're together. You would think they would be celebrating, right? Jesus has risen. Like, he's no longer in the grave, but they don't compute that. His body's not there, but where is he? And it says that they're afraid. What are they afraid of? Well, maybe they're going to be next. Maybe they'll be arrested next. And maybe the Jewish leaders, they're still out for blood, so maybe they're coming to get them. They, they have the doors locked because they're so afraid. Maybe it's the Roman officials. Maybe they're fearful of them that maybe the Roman officials are going to blame them for Jesus' body being gone. Maybe they've stolen Jesus' body, and so there, there's going to be somebody that breaks into the, the door of this room at any time. They're afraid. And it reminds me of this, this truth that we've all walked through darkness where we became paralyzed by our fear. That every one of us, whether it's these disciples that walked with Jesus for three years that we see as these like incredibly holy people, or whether it's us today, all of us have walked in such darkness where we became paralyzed by fear. 
I remember when my kids were younger, uh, we, uh, we, we, had a, we had a house with a basement. Uh, and the basement was, it was cold, it was dark, it was unfinished. I mean, like any 40-year, I mean, six-year-old girl would be scared of it. Um, you know, I remember there were times I, we'd be down in the basement with my kids. And it's like a, a quick little joke, right? Like something to make everybody laugh. I'd turn off the light and I'd run up the stairs as fast as possible. And I'm like laughing, like, ah, ha, ha, ha. And I think that like they would be behind me, right? Like they're going to be like, Dad, what are you doing? No, they were like, freeze. Dad! They would start yelling my name, Dad! Sometimes they would start crying. So what would I do? I would turn around. What are you being a scaredy cat for? What are you doing? Come on. No. I would turn the light on. Because it was the darkness that paralyzed them. It was the darkness that brought such fear that they didn't know what to do. You ever been there before? Where you were walking through something in life and you're like, man, I don't know what to do. This is exactly where the disciples are. And here's what we see Jesus do. So if you're in a place where you've lost hope, or if you're in a place where you feel like, man, there's, there's darkness around me, and you feel like you've been paralyzed by that darkness, I want you to know what God does in this moment. He does the same for both, both parties. We're going to read it from the story of these guys sitting in that upper room. Look back at John chapter 20, the end of verse 19. It says, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. I love that Jesus doesn't come in. He's like, hey, guys, everything's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. It's all good. We got this. We'll be okay. Life's going to be okay. He doesn't say that. Why? Because he knows that, man, it's still going to be hard. Like life is challenging. He knows that some of these guys are going to go to their death. Some of these guys are going to be brutally attacked for their faith. He knows that now speaking to you and I today, that life's not easy. He doesn't say, hey, life's going to be great. You'll be okay. You won't have any troubles or any hardships. No, he doesn't say any of that. He just says, peace be with you. You know what I find fascinating? When you look in Scripture, the two most repeated commands are do not be afraid and some version of be happy. So it was God who was the first to say, don't worry, be happy now. Right, like those are the two most repeated commands is don't be afraid, don't worry, and be joyful, be happy. So God wants you to not be afraid and to be happy. But how do you do that? I mean, do you do that because you have the easiest life possible? No. Does he say that you become happy and, and you have, you know, the, 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 the peace and, uh, and the, uh, the no worries and all of that? No. He doesn't say that life without tragedy will provide that with you or life filled with friends who love you and a spouse who's always supportive of you and kids who always do what you say. That would be amazing. But that's not the life God promises. The way that you and I don't have any fear, don't worry about anything, and that we find joy and happiness is by obtaining peace. Is by God coming into our situation and saying peace to you. And the only way that you and I are not afraid, the only way that you and I can find true joy no matter the situations that we're going through is that we experience these but God moments. But God showed up. But God met me here. But God still sees me. But God knew what he was doing. But God is faithful for us to have these but God moments. And my prayer for you as we've been preparing for Easter for a while, has been God, let us experience, let us experience today 
this but God moment. Let us experience today the, your presence in such a powerful way that no matter what we're walking through, no matter what darkness we've been sitting in and we feel, we feel we're, we're captive by that darkness or we've lost all hope, that you would experience the presence of God in such a powerful way that there would be peace. It's the same peace that David and Evan experienced. Take a look at this. I'm Evan. And I'm David. We have three kids. We have a daughter, Cameron, that's 13, a son, Nolan, that is 10, and a younger daughter, Parker, that's eight. When Evan was about 36 weeks uh, pregnant with Nolan, uh, we went to her 36-week appointment, and there had been some issues with fluid levels um, that they were seeing. There was no progress, um, and there was actually a decrease in the amount of fluid. So they just made the decision that day, um, right then and there, to take Evan upstairs um, in the hospital and uh, induce and have a C-section. When uh, we had the uh, delivery, they detected that there was a full knot in the umbilical cord, so he wasn't getting fluid, um, like food and nutrients for, for a couple of weeks. He was extremely small, so he was four pounds, two ounces when he was born. The, the smallest baby I've ever held. He always was slightly delayed or behind other kids his age and his peers when it came to walking or talking. And then we realized that Maybe the things that we were noticing or seeing that were unique um, were truly differences and not just him being premature. I remember when we first heard the word autism and I, I could hear nothing else that they said. It was almost like in a movie where everything else kind of just shuts out. I couldn't focus on anything except the word that they just said, autism. I was honestly in a in a state of denial for a while. I had a lot of emotions going. I had um, fear, doubt, I had anxiety. It was really hard that I just, I, I felt like I had a son that I couldn't, I wasn't connecting with and I was failing as a parent, as a father. I turned to using um, alcohol and drugs just to cope and to, to keep those emotions, those feelings in. And that in itself was another problem because then I um, would, was keeping it from Evan and it caused problems in our marriage. We were both just so defeated. Stepping back now, I can see how God has just made everything work together. And what I feel like the enemy meant for harm and the enemy meant to break us down, that God has worked it and redeemed it for his good. He has led us to specific friends that are just a real blessing in our lives. Also, God has helped us with just providing David's job. He provides insurance that we need, that the therapy that we did for Nolan, that was in-home therapy for four and a half years, uh, that was covered. It was a little bit of a mourning process for what the dream I had uh, for what that our future was going to be like. 
um, and reconciling that with with reality. And over time, the the joy and the happiness became uh, came out of doing things that he enjoyed. I wouldn't change where we're at and anything about our life and the way you know we go every day. Um, it's I love it. We don't feel there's anything wrong with Nolan. He is just different. He was just created differently. And I believe that he was placed in our lives with purpose. I have so much hope for our family and for our kids. And I'm believing and trusting God that he's going to be with us through this journey. I'm grateful for where we are and how far we've come. Nothing prepares you for watching that video and then seeing Nolan Red out here just smiling and knowing that this family, like so many of us, have walked through challenging moments, dark times, moments where we felt hopeless about our situation, about the situation of others around us. And it's in those moments, my prayer is that you will experience the power and the presence of our God. Do you experience the presence of God through his word? That her, his word will speak to you in the right moment at the right time. The Bible says it is, that this word is active, it's living, meaning that God knows exactly what you need today. And that's why we encourage people to get into it because God knows what you need. And if he does, then man, he can speak to you as we open these pages. May you experience the, the peace and the presence of God through a kind word that somebody gives to you. May you experience his presence through worship or through prayer. May you experience it through somebody bringing you a meal in your darkest times. May you experience it through the prayers of others. May you experience this but God moment where everything else may seem to be falling apart. You may have lost hope or you feel paralyzed by fear, but our God, but our God sees you. He knows your name and he will show up. Whether you're in a locked room, hoping no one comes through the doors, he will appear. Whether you're walking along a road, talking about the tragedies that you've seen, he will show up. And then when he does, not only may you experience his peace, but then may you turn around and give that to others. I mean, David and Evan, they've been there for us as we've walked through things. They've been some of the first people to, to text us or to call us and say, hey, do you need a meal? Do you need something? Why? Because they've also walked through it. They've experienced the, the presence of God through others showing up, and they want to be that to others as well. So my prayer today, as we celebrate the risen Lord, for those of us, some of us, man, we're in a great spot. Praise God for that. And give him glory, worship him because of where you are. For those of you who maybe you feel like there's a situation going on where you have lost hope. Maybe it's with your kids, maybe it's with a, a friend, somebody else in your life. Maybe it's in your workplace, in your mental health. Or you just feel like there's nothing else you can do. You don't know where else to turn. May you turn to him and as you do, May he show up in such a powerful way that you receive his peace. And then if you feel like you've been paralyzed by fear, by the darkness that surrounded you, same thing, may he show up in the midst of that darkness, may he turn the light on and say, peace, 
be with you. And as you receive it, may we go about and give it to others. And doing that, as we give it to others, it will transform the community around us. It will transform Castle Rock and Douglas County, Colorado, and beyond. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and I thank you so much, God, for your word. I thank you for these two stories that we read about today where, God, as we look back on the Easter story, we're like, oh, man, Jesus is risen. Unbelievable. But the people who were there that day didn't see it that way. They felt like hope had been lost. They were in fear, paralyzed, not knowing what else to do. Father, for some of us, that's where we are right now. And if that's you, if you're in this place, you'd say, man, I, my situation right now feels pretty hopeless. Or, I'm, yeah, I can admit that, man, I, I've been paralyzed by the fear that has surrounded me by this darkness that has come into my life. Turn to him. Turn to Jesus. Him rising from the dead shows his power over death and over sin, shows his power to be able to give us peace in the midst of our own challenges, hardships, and frustrations. It's not our job to work ourselves out of this feeling or pour ourselves up by our bootstraps and just work harder. It's up to us to turn to him first. So if that's you, with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you'd say, man, I, I need to turn to Jesus today. What does that mean? It means simply acknowledging you can't do it on your own and that God is calling you home. God is saying to you, just come home. Receive what Jesus has done on the cross for you. Receive the fact that he rose from the dead so that you could have eternal life and a life that doesn't start one day but starts today. With every head bowed and eyes closed, if, you, if that's you and you want to make a commitment to Christ or make a recommitment to Christ, you want to receive the peace of God today. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. Just right now, I want you to raise a hand. I want to know who to pray for. Amen. 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 So many. Amen. Thank you. Father, thank you that you know each one of these individuals by name. You know their story. You know the journey they've been on. God, you know what it took to bring them here today. And I thank you, God, that you love them enough that this is a but God moment. That even in my darkness, even in my hopelessness, but God sees me. But God meets me here. But God loves me. So, Father, we receive what you've done on the cross for us. And then we say, God, tell us what to do next. God, may we receive your peace in such a profound way today that we then turn around and give it to others. In Jesus' name.